This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by Manscaped and by HelloFresh. With each new day of Russia's war in Ukraine, more and more foreign companies announce that they are ending their operations in Russia, uh, whether it's out of a genuine desire not to associate with and profit from a country waging a tremendously unpopular war, or just big companies seizing any t- opportunity that they can take to look good. That's anyone's guess. Uh, it, it's it, a lot of it is pressure from like public pressure. Yeah, that too. The, the shameless that we talked about on the and, last episode, uh, and just straight up like Ukrainian government officials being like, "Hey, I noticed uh, you're yeah, still at, selling your stuff." They're there. adding them directly. Yeah. All the social media managers that are running accounts, like, man, I got the sickest meme to post today. They instead they open up the replies and they're getting like tweets from a yeah. Ukrainian foreign minister. So yeah, uh, cancel culture it works. Shame works. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, even getting money in or out of Russia might be too much of a hassle to justify continuing your business there, even if you don't really care about any of this Ukraine stuff. Mm-hmm. But as more and more companies pull out of Russia, your average Russian consumer is quickly running out of things to consume. And while the idea that simply making life harder for your average Russians will make them overthrow their government is extremely far-fetched and also has no historical basis in any other sanctions regimes, uh, some of these brand pullouts do have us thinking that, hey... It just might work this time for us. They came from McDonald's, and they uh, came for a few other things that we're about to talk about. Yeah. Now, it's almost impossible to keep track of all the companies pulling out of Russia. In the last week, we've seen Coca-Cola, Pepsi, McDonald's, and Starbucks all pull their iconic American products. Uh, Amazon has suspended access to Prime Video and halted shipments to Russia. Microsoft has suspended all new sales of products and services. Apple and Samsung, they're also out. Even Airbnb and Bumble have pulled out. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there's even reportedly been talks within the Russian government to legalize software piracy after so many software companies pulled their support. But those are all minor inconveniences compared to a company whose presence in Russia is ubiquitous and whose absence will be felt deeply and with great pain. Adidas has announced that they are pulling out of Russia. Oh my God. I mean, picture your average Russian. Picture them in your head. What are they wearing? That's right. An Adidas tracksuit. That's what they're wearing. And what are they doing in that tracksuit? They're squatting, of course. They smoking are, lots of they cigarettes. They're squatting. They're defying gravity with mm-hmm. the lowest, deepest squat you've ever seen. Yeah. And the tracksuits and the squatting go hand in hand. The iconic Slav squat is only even possible with the comfort and flexibility that the iconic Adidas tracksuit provides. Uh, am I basing all of this entirely on just internet memes and not any actual knowledge of Russian culture? Yes. Mm-hmm. But based on that limited understanding... I have a feeling that after just a few weeks of no Adidas tracksuits on store racks in Russia, the people of Russia will, in fact, rise up and topple their government in a revolution that will make 1917 look minor by comparison. Shit has finally gotten real. And they're going to walk like this when they do it. Yeah. Yes. That's the fighting stance. They'll be able to take cover. You didn't think anyone could take oh, cover. Yeah. Oh, is that just a, a hedgerow over there? Couldn't be any soldiers uh, or, or no soldiers planning could, an attack. could possibly be squatting that low. <laughs> yeah. Haha, <laughs> that's where you're wrong. Um, anyways, if the sudden absence of Adidas products doesn't push the Russian population completely over the edge, well, guess what else? They targeted gamers. Polish developer CD Projekt Red was among the first to pull its products from Russia, but in the past week, some much bigger studios have followed their lead. Uh, Ubisoft, Take-Two, EA, and Activision Blizzard have all pulled out. But on top of that, Microsoft and Sony have suspended sales of console hardware and also shut down their online storefronts. If Russia had anything like our secondhand market for PS5s before, the prices now have to be through the roof. They're going to be trading those PS5s for more, uh, more, uh... Rocket fuel. Yes. But uh, will targeting gamers specifically 
have the intended effect of turning the Russian people against this war and the government responsible for it? Or will it have the opposite effect? Uh, let's just consult the sacred text. Pull out the vision <clears throat> They targeted gamers. Gamers. We're a group of people who will sit for hours, days, even weeks on end, performing some of the hardest, most mentally demanding tasks over and over and over, all for nothing more than a little digital token saying we did. We'll punish ourselves doing things others would consider torture because we think it's fun. We'll spend most, if not all, of our free time min-maxing the stats of a fictional character, all to draw out a single extra point of damage per second. Many of us have made careers out of doing just these things. Slogging through the grind, all day, the same quests over and over, hundreds of times, to the point where we know every little detail such that some have attained such gamer nirvana that they can literally play these games blindfolded. Do these people have any idea how many controllers have been smashed, systems overheated, discs and carts destroyed in frustration, all to later be referred to as bragging rights? These people honestly think this is a battle they can win? They take our media? Gamers are competitive, hardcore by nature. We love a challenge. The worst thing you did in all of this was to challenge us. You're not special. You're not original. You're not the first. This is just another boss fight. Joe Biden. Joe Brandon is shaking Brandon. in his boots. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, gamers, do you have what it takes to topple the Putin regime? Or it could go the other way. Or it could completely go it could the other go way. could go either way. Yeah. Honestly, at this point, we probably want as many young Russian men as possible at home playing Call of Duty instead of in Ukraine doing actual war. So hopefully we haven't awakened a sleeping giant. Um, but meanwhile, one of the effects of this war on gaming has been pretty surprising. Players of the hardcore first-person shooter multiplayer survival game Escape from Tarkov are feeling the crunch of the Russian ruble currency losing nearly half its value in the past week, even if they don't live in Russia. And that's because in Escape from Tarkov, the in-game currencies are the ruble, dollar, euro, and bitcoin. And the value of these fake in-game currencies is actually tied to those currencies in real-world values. Smart. Uh, it's a clever mechanic. It sure is. Uh, here's Vice talking about how this has made some of the elements of the game noticeably more difficult. Rubles are the game's default currency, and players begin with 500,000 rubles. As they explore the world and complete missions, they can loot rubles from the world and other players, or even earn rewards from quest givers in rubles. The problem is that some of the game's NPCs only operate in euros and dollars. If you want to buy fancy weapons or complete quests with an NPC named Peacekeeper, you're going to need dollars. The exchange rate being what it is, those quests are now significantly harder to complete. Peacekeeper and Skier are two characters who deal in dollars and euros, respectively. Players can pay them to earn permanent bonuses to stats. But with the collapse of the ruble, those tasks have become significantly more expensive. Quote, Just a heads up, the mentor task now costs 9 million rubles to complete if you buy the euros from Skier. One post on r slash escape from Tarkov said, The situation has left some players befuddled. Quote, Bruh, what the fuck? So Putin literally affected me by making my gun builds and SS-190 and M62 10% more expensive. JPT Boy said on Reddit, It looks like the US dollar to ruble rate increased 10% today when I checked it on Google. I did not know it was tied to the real exchange rate. For others, especially those who have a lot of Bitcoin, dollars, or euros, it's an opportunity. Quote, Get ready for market inflation, Reddit user CoinLockerChild said. BTC in-game is still tied to IRL ratios, and with the ruble dropping like a stone while BTC is rallying, anyone with a farm is going to see large numbers in the therapist sales price. Because, yeah, apparently in this game you find GPUs in the battlefield, and you can set up 
a virtual mining rig in your home base or whatever that Sounds mines like it, in-game Bitcoin for you. The metaverse is already here, and it was right under our noses the entire time. This is, this is one of those games that I will absolutely never play, no. uh, but I am like fascinated by it. It's sort of I've like watched that. it. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. this is uh, the a amount lot. of Yeah, the amount of commitment here. It's like that, uh, what's that space game that people spend like thousands of dollars? Warhammer? No, the one where people buy spaceships. Oh, the for, one that uh, like it ne- it has never really actually been released? Star Citizen? I think that might be it. it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, I'm fascinated by these games where people, like, it's literally their second life. Yeah. More than any of these fucking, like, metaverse projects will ever be. Yeah. Um, well, like Gabe Newell said, l- what, last week? Like, we've already had a metaverse. Any MMO is a metaverse. Yeah. That people have jobs and everything else in. But the fact that they're, like, these global sanctions are having a real effect on a video game... Pretty cool. Yeah, and I got to imagine a lot of the people playing this game, like, this is how they found out what's actually happening. Cause yeah, because they're, like, looking into it. It's just like, wait, what the, what what the hell's is, going did on? Did something happen that made this? Is this a glitch? Oh, no, there's a war. That's why. And also a very popular game in Eastern Europe and Russia. It, I mean, it's a Russian game. Yeah. I'm, I'm honestly kind of surprised their servers are still, like, chugging along. Yeah. But, uh, well, the reason, like, the real reason a bunch of American companies are publicly pulling their support from Russia or whatever or putting a halt to things there is because they legally can't get money out of it because of the sanctions. So it's yeah. like, it's pointless for them. Yeah, anyone who still wants to operate there, you essentially have to just transport bags of cash <laughs> across the border. It's uh, And Russia's a big country. It's all become very inconvenient. So, yeah, it's easier to just say, uh, we're suspending operations until that all changes back to how uh, it was before. But going back to the fact that, like, you know, the, the tracksuits and will this be the thing that finally, like, gets people to uprise... Or do an uprising. Um, we reported earlier in the week about uh, Russia, uh, McDonald's shutting down all the their McDonald's in Russia, and like the there were okay. I have I've showed the video in the previous episode of like the line of cars oh, waiting. Insane. There was uh, photos on on Reddit of Russians with their entire refrigerators filled with like Big Macs and stuff like that. Oh my god! And now apparently. It's gotten so, like, people are so upset about this McDonald's thing there that uh, the government in Russia is looking to uh, take away some loophole in trademarking so that they can just reopen the McDonald's without, like, the actual corporate McDonald's. Yeah, that's the thing is, uh, like, McDonald's is not complicated. They have all the equipment. Um, They all the, it's not like they're sourcing their ingredients from the U.S. Mm -hmm. Like, in Europe, at least in Western Europe, all the ingredients are sourced from within a couple hundred miles for any McDonald's location you go yeah. to. So the supply chain's all still there. Um, but I do love... It's I, like, oh, what are you going to do? Sanction us? You already did. It, it so. is... <laughs> the only thing funny about it is the how quickly they were like, well, we can't not have McDonald's. Yeah. There's going to be legal ramifications. You have crossed the thin red line, sir. <laughs> yes. Uh, you have yeah. crossed the two delicious golden arches. Change it to McPutin's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... It, I, I mean, people love McDonald's. If if McDonald's shut down in the U.S., it would be even more chaotic than anywhere else. But it, it, I'm still kind of surprised that, I guess, some people in Russia just, they got used to that, uh, well, I, I, not corn syrup, because I'm, I'm sure the ingredients are much higher <laughs> Actually quality. better there, yeah. Yeah, but they, they got used to that uh, American uh, way of life. I would assume it would be kind of the same reason why fast food is rising here again is because with inflation and everything else, it actually does become a cheaper meal 
than going out to a grocery store at this point. It certainly can so, be, especially yeah. if you order off that. Uh, well, it's not the dollar menu anymore. Damn it, Joe, Bi Joe Biden did that. Menu. Yeah, <laughs> I did that. Yeah. Um, so, look, they're very pissed about McDonald's. Obviously, I'd like to see what they do with uh, Adidas. I mean, I'm They're wondering come if up with their own tracksuits. We could get another uh, Fanta situation because you know the story behind Fanta and why it's that, so delicious yeah, in Europe. Coca-Cola pulled out of Nazi Germany, mm -hmm. and uh, but the Coca-Cola German division was still there, basically operating independently for like seven years. So they uh, they no longer had access to the ingredients they needed for Coke. So they they came up with Fanta, mm -hmm. and that's how we got the delicious Nazi beverage that we all still enjoy to this day. Do I kind of regret saying how delicious it was at the top of this little speech? Sure, but it is, it is much better is than delicious. the American Fanta. It's not Nazi anymore. It's just yeah, those yeah. are the circumstances behind the The closest Fanta. you can get in America is that Orangina. Oh, Orangina's, uh, that's that's its own thing. It's yeah, I know, but no, but it's in taste-wise. Well, you can get, uh, what's that What's that Mexican company that sells? Doritos? Jaritos, yeah. yeah. Doritos is I'm gonna get roasted for saying Doritos. 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 Yeah. So yeah, I mean that. Yeah, if you're looking for uh, that sweet, sweet cane, if the if the HFCS isn't doing it for you, mm -hmm. that's where you go, the Mexican aisle. But you'd be a traitor to these United States. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Our corn de de uh, deployment depends on you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we've got the uh, non-Ukraine news half of the show coming right up, but it, it is time for a word from this week's sponsor, starting with Manscaped. Splish splash, I was taking a bath, <laughs> and I noticed I have beautiful balls. Look at them float. They made me read that. <laughs> Our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in below-the-bell hygiene, are turning men's shower dreams into their favorite routine with the all-new Ultra Premium Collection. This all-in-one hygiene skin and hair bundle is designed to upgrade the everyday man's shower routine from head to toe. Your skin, hair, and balls deserve this. Save big by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEWSDAY20. Let's walk you through the Manscaped shower routine. Step one, you lather on the cologne-infused ultra-premium body wash with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean and moisturized all day. Not sure if you heard that correctly, but this body wash is cologne-infused, so that special someone in your life will absolutely love it. Step two, it's hair care time. Apply the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner that cleanses and nourishes in one step. The non-greasy formula has a base of coconut water, green tea, aloe, turmeric, and sage. Apply this to all the hairy parts of your body. And then step three, once you hop out of the shower, protect yourself from body odor by applying the Manscaped Aluminum-Free Deodorant. This deodorant dries clear and is also cologne-infused. Step four, you have tattoos or dry skin? Hit your skin with the hydrating body moisturizer spray. Step five, apply the Manscaped Lip Balm. This is a free gift that you get when you purchase the Ultra Premium Collection. But last not least, using the Lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer to clean off any unwanted body hair. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof, so you bet it's a major key to this new shower routine. <laughs> this elite trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. Although your balls might look like punching bags, don't treat them like punching bags. Benefit from their proprietary skin safe technology. You don't want to be like Preston Lacey. No. This new bundle will change your life and we want all of our viewers out there to live their best lives. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEWSDAY20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEWSDAY20 at manscaped.com. It's time to get wet and clean with your new Manscaped shower routine. Nice. 
this episode is also sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience without skimping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, saving you the wait in long lines and ensuring you don't waste money on excess food. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie smart, family-friendly, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. Coming up on next week's menu, you've got delicious options like the Hall of Fame pub-style shepherd's pie mm. with white cheddar and thyme mashed potatoes. Or if you're looking for something quick and spicy, the hoisin honey chicken with green beans and jasmine rice clocks in at just 20 minutes of prep. So go to HelloFresh.com Newsday16 and use code Newsday16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. And again, that is up to 16 free meals and three free gifts by going to HelloFresh.com Newsday16 and using code Newsday16. All right, back to the news now with a bit of a throwback to a story from a couple of months ago. So you remember back in December, right before Christmas, when the CEO of the online mortgage lending company, Better.com, laid off 900 employees over a Zoom call right after securing nearly a billion dollars worth of investments? Even worse for optics was the fact that CEO Vishal Garg then Garg. went on the company's message board and claimed that the people who were fired uh, deserved it because they were only working an average of two hours a day while clocking in eight hours of payroll. Therefore, they were stealing from the company. Big if true. Uh, he then had an old email uh, that he sent to the company leak where he yelled at his employees in all caps and repeatedly called them dumb dolphins, along with plenty of other stories about him being just verbally abusive to everyone at the company. All pretty bad optics. And... In the ensuing PR chaos, several executives at Better decided that now was as good a time as any to leave, and Garg decided to take some time off. Well, Mr. Garg is back at it again, if you can believe it. Uh, here's TechCrunch. The mass layoffs at digital mortgage lender Better.com have reportedly started, according to employees and other sources at the company. And affected workers are finding out by seeing a severance check in their Workday account, <laughs> the company's payroll app. The layoffs were meant to be announced by the company on March 9th, but one employee who wishes to remain anonymous due to fear of repercussions told TechCrunch that, quote, they accidentally rolled out the severance payslips too early. Better.com execs reportedly planned the layoffs for March 8th, but moved the date to March 9th when news of the initial date leaked. Apparently, when execs realized their mistake, they deleted the checks from some people's Workday accounts. According to the employee, the severance checks arrived without any additional communication from the company. Whew, and and uh, this isn't just some small layoff either. The one back in December was 900 employees, and this one is said to be uh, just over 3,000 oh. employees, or nearly half the company's total employees. Uh, so these people all got a unexpected severance check in their workday accounts a day before they were supposed to actually go out and got no official acknowledgement about what the fuck was even going on, even as the company deleted the checks from their accounts and just pretended uh, you didn't see that. That's all very confusing. Uh, uh, sir, please. So, yeah, you do got to wonder if, if maybe the reason this company might not be meeting their expectations uh, maybe has less to do with the work of its employees and more to do with its executives who can't even reliably tell you what day it is. Maybe it's that. Executives who uh, have a bit of a track record uh, not really demonstrating uh, emotional maturity or uh, interpersonal skills or... Uh, yeah. Any of the uh, management skills you would expect of a functioning, successful company. Maybe maybe that could be it. The executives leaving should have been a clear sign to almost anyone else working there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, this is going down. Got to get out. Got to save my own reputation. 
Yeah, we saw uh, Machinima. There was there's periods where it's just like, wow, a lot of uh, a lot of executives are just not even making a not even like sending out a goodbye email. Just bye, bye, just out. Yeah, interesting. I mean, the tough part is like the lower you are on the ladder at these companies, the less you make, and the harder it is for you to actually uh, take risks with uh, career changes. So yeah. a lot of people are stuck and just have to wait for that uh, inevitable yeah. layoff, which you, you, fucking sucks. You get as much money as you can out of the job until you can't anymore. Mm-hmm. But hey, maybe executives are only assholes because they grew up inhaling neurotoxins and experienced measurable cognitive decline because of it. Because that's a thing that happened. Anyone alive in this country before 1996, when leaded gas was fully banned, definitely inhaled at least a little bit of that stuff. And while it's never been totally clear how much damage that it does to people's brains, we now have a clearer idea of it thanks to a new study. And we all have a new excuse now. I'm sorry. It's all the leaded gasoline fumes I inhaled as a small child in the early 90s. Hey, I was around a lot of racetracks, so I got a a lot of big excuses. And race cars still use uh, leaded gasoline. Is that why it smells so good? Yeah. And uh, I I believe jets, jet fuel, I think. Mm, Delicious. Or some types of jet fuel. Like, it's still used in some cases, just not for for automobiles on the road. Well, I've got to give my dad a call after this and thank him for the cognitive decline. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Anyway, here's NBC News. Exposure to leaded gasoline lowered the IQ of about half the population of the United States, a new study estimates. The peer-reviewed study, published Monday in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, focuses on people born before 1996, the year the U.S. banned gas containing lead. Overall, the researchers from Florida State University and Duke University found childhood lead exposure cost America an estimated 824 million points, or 2.6 points, per person on average. Certain cohorts were more affected than others. For people born in the 1960s and the 1970s, when leaded gas consumption was skyrocketing, the IQ loss was estimated to be up to six points, and for some, more than seven points. The boomers! That's what happened! It's actual brain rot! I mean, the boomers were born... This is, like, late Yeah, this is late on it, but but still. Late boomers, early Gen X. Yes, exactly. Exposure to it came primarily from inhaling auto exhaust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do want to reiterate, boomer is anyone older than me. Yes. So... And me sometimes. <laughs> it counts. So there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few IQ, IQ points might not seem like a lot, but at the scale of the entire U.S. population, uh, it's still pretty wild. Plus there are averages. Uh, these are averages. So people who grew up around a lot more exhaust fumes <laughs> experience worse cognitive dips than people who grew up breathing mostly fresh air, though you grew up in Orange County, which I guess is, yeah, pretty good. I mean, Southern California notoriously has had... Bad. Bad air, but during my lifetime, mostly okay. Yeah. Well, lead also (laughs) isn't just a problem in gasoline exhaust fumes. Lead in drinking water continues to be a big problem in this country in places like Flint. And of course, stuff like tainted water and dirty air has historically been more of a problem in areas that are predominantly poor and or black. Uh, But in general, anytime you're dealing with a baby boomer or Gen Xer, you are dealing with someone who has lost multiple IQ points due to lead exposure. And that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Shut up, Dad. It's that's the lead talking. That's, it is, and leaded paint if they're old enough, probably. I mean, the, the lead stuff. Uh, my my favorite, not favorite, but the most interesting theory around it is that because uh, you know, as much as people love to talk about like, oh, crime is on the rise, murders. We're living in like one of the safest periods of history right now, mm-hmm. um, especially in terms of crime. And uh, there's a theory that like the amount of crime in the U.S. in the '70s, which was like insane by today's standards, was because it was like the first, uh, it was a generation that grew up just inhaling insane amounts of lead. Yeah. Uh, and like basically making them violent. It's an interesting theory. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know if I like it or not because it does excuse a lot of the decision making, but uh, it's also a pretty good point to uh, say that we should probably have a lower average age in our federal government. I mean, yeah. And that was true even before I found out about this let. <laughs> yeah, this just adds to it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be trusted to make correct decisions. I mean, a lot of these people were around back when paint had lead in it. They were eating yeah. paint chips as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then again, you have people like Madison Cawthorn, who uh, came out today and What's like... What's his excuse? Yeah. No, he slammed the president of Ukraine. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Huh. Very interesting. Anyway, moving on now to uh, NFT news. Hey, it's back. But Great. you may have noticed that the topic of NFTs, which was inescapable pretty recently, has kind of been coming up less and less in recent weeks, even on our show. Yes, finally. And it's not just us. Looking at the Google Trends chart for the term NFT shows a historic peak in interest at the beginning of January, followed by a steep and quick decline. Interest in NFTs has, of course, ebbed and flowed previously with lots of interest back in March 2021, followed by a huge dip until interest picked up again towards the end of the year. But the most recent NFT push was a full-scale marketing extravaganza with all hands on deck, just beating normies over the head constantly with the idea that this is the future and you better come aboard ASAP. And even with all that, it still appears to have had very little effect, which is actually awesome. Yeah. Good. And as we've mentioned before, like a very small percentage of the population owns all of the NFTs. Yeah. Uh, they are uh, fakely hyped in price. Um, there's... They, they, yeah, it was uh, the amount of FOMO they tried to make everyone feel just yeah. constantly for the last six months. Uh, the existing, Amounted to nothing. The existing NFT communities are still going just as strong as ever, but it looks like NFTs will remain an extremely niche interest for the time being. And niche might be a bit of an over, overstatement. As we've previously discussed, barely anyone owns crypto. Even among crypto people, only 0.1% own NFTs. Something like 400,000 crypto wallets total have ever even interacted with an NFT. And since people usually have multiple wallets, the, the number is probably significantly lower than that. So between knowing that and seeing the sharp decline in interest in NFTs over recent weeks, the NFT craze seems to be all but over. But here's some NFT news that only 90s kids will understand. LimeWire is back. Oh, baby. Uh, and instead of facilitating music piracy and virus proliferation through peer-to-peer -peer file sharing, LimeWire is an NFT marketplace now. Here's CNBC. LimeWire, the defunct file-sharing website, is set to make a comeback. The controversial service was shut down back in 2010 after a lengthy legal battle with the Recording Industry Association of America over allegations of music piracy. <laughs> it was a piracy app. Uh, a federal judge found the platform caused copyright infringement on a massive scale because it was literally designed for that. At its height, LimeWire was one of the most popular peer-to-peer file-sharing websites, allowing users to download music and other content online free of charge. The likes of LimeWire, BitTorrent, and Napster were eventually succeeded by subscription-based streaming services such as Spotify and Netflix. More than a decade since it closed down, LimeWire is making a comeback, but with a twist. The service will relaunch in May as a marketplace for trading non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, digital assets that keep a record of ownership for virtual items on the blockchain. Austrian brothers Julian and Paul Zehetmir bought LimeWire's intellectual property and other assets last year. They say they've been planning to bring the platform back ever since. The new LimeWire will focus on music, letting users buy and trade rare items such as limited editions, unreleased demos, and digital merchandise. At least they somehow tied the music thing back into it, because before that quote, it's just like, okay, they, it's like buying... Uh, companies have gone through and like licensed 
90s brands and like yeah. Tommy Hilfiger and all that stuff has made a huge comeback at like Urban Outfitters and yeah. stuff like that. So it's just like these two guys buy Limeware because of the name recognition from 12, 15 years ago and then just make it an M- NFT marketplace that has no connection to yeah, the original Limeware. Yeah, it is a bit odd. Uh, We're bringing back Kazaa, but it's an NFT marketplace. I hope I can buy uh, an NFT of like all the, all the, my favorite thing about the P2P file sharing days was uh, the only reggae artist who ever existed was Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. So you're like Red Red One by Bob Marley. Yeah. Uh, just no, you're gonna get a <laughs> you're gonna get an NFT that's like a Pearl Jam album cover, but it plays a Nirvana song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. Like how many people got the completely wrong idea about like artists based on just how they things were labeled. Yeah. On the file sharing networks. It was a wild time. It was. I mean, that's how most of the music I found. I did so illegally. Yeah. I, if if Spotify had been around at the time, I probably would have found it that way. But True. But uh, yeah, back then it was like the social one was, I think, we made a joke about it recently, but I think Pure Volume was like one where it was I like discoverability that. was good. Um, I definitely used Napster. I definitely used Kazaa, LimeWire. I've already been over, but SoulSeek was the best one. And you had to be a real, yeah. real head to know that one. You had to be in the forums. And then there was... Uh, the ones where you'd get private invitations for like the leaked stuff early. It was waffles.cd or some was one of them. Oh, I Anyways. didn't have that. I was on some pretty exclusive uh, BitTorrent servers. That was that was the clout back then. Yeah. Was like, could you get the really good rip of the album and how, how soon before yeah. it started leaking? Yeah. Anyways, will this new NFT version of LimeWire be, be successful? Um I don't think so. Uh, the music world has been a very mixed bag of hosti- uh, hostility towards NFTs, and also some artists seeing them as a potential new revenue stream that pays way better than Spotify uh, also exists. Like, so we'll see. I, typically, it's been EDM since the beginning of NFTs that have yeah. kind of been able to latch onto it. But then you have uh, legacy bands who are just like, uh, sure, yeah, put Is our name. Someone's on Someone's willing to pay for this? A Kiss what NFT? Yeah, well, right. sure, yes, sure, yeah. Uh, it's just very funny that all of of all the things that LimeWire could be resurrected for, it's this. Yeah. But I guess it's things like Crazy Frog. We're just like, this has no reason to come back, but now NFTs exist, so uh-huh. fuck it. We're doing Crazy Frog again. Someone will buy this. Yeah. Some freak out there. But moving on to uh, the kind of tech news that we used to focus on before the world went entirely to hell, Apple had one of their big product unveiling keynote events this week. And on top of the stuff that you'd expect, like new iPhones and iPads, there were still a couple surprises. Yeah, so these days Apple holds like four big events throughout the year, three of which are focused on hardware and one on software. And the two previous Apple events from back in September and October, uh, the big reveals included like the iPhone 13 product line, new MacBooks powered by M1 processors, that kind of thing. Pretty big news. This latest event unveiled the newest models of their more budget-friendly iPhone SE phones, which kind of just resemble the iPhone's pre-iPhone X with the fingerprint ID and the bezels on the top and the bottom of the screen. If you miss the home button, this phone's yeah. for you. Uh, the new ones have the same A15 Bionic chip found in the iPhone 13 lineup, and they've also got 5G connectivity. So, Anyway, meanwhile, the new iPad Air 5 also got uh, 5G connectivity plus the same M1 chip found in Apple's computers. So cool for all yeah. the iPad people out there. <laughs> people still do tablets, I guess? I, I don't know. Yeah, I know that the the higher end iPads are used by artists pretty frequently, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But the biggest surprise was the unveiling of a completely new product line, the Mac Studio desktop computer. 
Previously for desktops, Apple has had the iMac, the Mac Mini, and the Mac Pro for people who really feel like spending some serious coin. The Mac Studio is essentially a middle ground for people who want to work on stuff like graphics and audio, but don't want to spend quite as much money as the cost of a Mac Pro, which starts at $6,000 and goes up to above $50,000 if you decide to max out all of the options on it. The wheels are going to cost you $400. <laughs> yeah. Now that's obviously way outside any normal person's budget, so the new Mac Studio, which starts at $2,000, seems to fill the role of what the Mac Pro used to be a decade ago. A computer for artists, musicians, filmmakers, and animators that's actually a somewhat justifiable business expense for individuals that are working in those fields Though still way too expensive for the normies. You wait for getting hired by like, yeah, DreamWorks to get that fifty thousand dollar rig. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I'm sure companies are happy about this too because it's like, like oh the Mac Pro that's cool. Uh, we still can't afford to <laughs> to buy a whole bunch of those. Yeah. Uh, well, let me talk to my accountant and see how much we need to uh, spend. Yeah. So anyway, this new uh, Stu Mac Studio, it's super compact. It basically takes up the space of just two Mac minis stacked on top of each other. Uh, and half of that is just for keeping the internal components cool because they're going to be getting hot. <laughs> uh, it's got an SD card slot built right into the front next, anyway. next to two USB-C ports in the front. Yeah. And then in the back, there's four Thunderbolt 4 ports and two standard USB ports. All good. For, for a company that previously pissed everyone off by eliminating as many ports as possible on its products and just telling everyone to buy an overpriced dongle, this is very refreshing. Yes. I want my ports. Yes. Uh, also, this thing is very powerful, with the base model coming in at 2.5 times faster than the current most powerful 27-inch iMac and 50% faster than the current $8,000 Mac Pro model. GPU performance is even more of an improvement over those machines. And if you really want to break the bank, there's a new M1 Ultra processor that's essentially two M1 chips welded together that will cost you $2,000 extra, but is faster than anything else in Apple's lineup by leaps and bounds, and has a GPU that can outperform most of NVIDIA and AMD's graphics cards. So, you want power, you can get it. I mean, yeah, I'm excited for when these come out and the benchmarks are actually, like, tested and people see, uh, you know, what they can run uh, crisis uh, is that still? You can. Uh, this is for this is for like Final Cut Pro X or whatever the Final Cut Pro is now. But and, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, Final Cut uh, audit or not audition? What's the Apple uh, Garage Band? No, not they're not no, going to use the, them here. The fancy Garage Band. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. But remember. what this is really for is uh, professional animation, professional yeah. filmmaking. It's yes. for fucking Pixar. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> It's uh, the, like the specs on this are kind of nuts and like it's it's the kind of thing like if you're super into PC components, like it doesn't make sense, but it's this is all integrated. It's all purpose built for this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, the stuff Apple's doing with these M1 cards or M1 chips is kind of insane. I have completely turned around on Apple in the past couple of years. I think they're doing great work now. I did not enjoy anything they did for like about 10 years and uh, I like it now. It's good. Well, they went down this weird path of like abandoning the uh, professional and prosumer uh, user base yeah. that they had like successfully cultivated for two decades it was very strange. Yeah. So, But with all that stuff that we were talking about included with in this... With the M1 uh, Ultra Super Duper yeah, that it, doubles the price. Yeah. It's a $4,000 computer, which is insane for most people, including a lot of people this product is designed specifically for. But let's just go on Apple.com and see how high we can take this price <laughs> how to. How high? Adding 24 more GPU cores, 7 more terabytes of SSD storage, and doubling the RAM, we arrive at $8,000.
which is honestly less than we'd have guessed given how insanely high that Mac Pro builds can go. But hey, now that you're spending $8,000 on a tiny and extremely powerful machine, you're not going to want to skimp on costs when it comes to the display that you're going to use no. when you're using this thing. And Apple has just the product for you. The new Apple Studio Display, which starts at $1,600. Oh, baby. And uh, again, I mean, that's a lot, but it's still less than the display that Apple unveiled alongside the new MacBook Pro last year or whatever, uh, which was the Pro Display XDR, which starts at $5,000. The Studio Display is a bargain by comparison. Uh, but what does that $1,600 get you? So this is a 27-inch 5K Retina display with a built-in 12-megapixel ultra-wide webcam studio quality microphones, and a six-speaker sound system with spatial audio uh, for people working in color correction and graphic design. Extremely accurate color is very, very important. So that's who this is for, though there's probably cheaper options out there to get the job done if you shop around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, if you really, really want to max out your $1,600 studio display, you, you can tack on another $300 for the anti-reflective nanotexture glass and another $400 for a tilt and height adjustable stand, which brings the final cost to $2,300. Now for the ultimate Apple Mac machine and a display worthy of it, that comes out to $10,300 total. But that's assuming, of course, you don't want to take advantage of all of those Thunderbolt ports in the back that can run four studio displays at once, which would bring the total price up to $17,200. At that point, whatever, look, if you're a person that is doing this, I hope that there's a company paying for it. Like, you're a work-from-home animator yeah. or editor. No, I just like having a bunch of Twitter tabs open. Yeah, that's what, like, I guarantee you, <laughs> there's people out there that max this out there's to fucking some, surf Twitter. There is some prince in Saudi Arabia yeah. who's got this all set up just so he can, like, look at stocks. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> I need all the screens, but I need the best Mac possible. Like, yeah. it's, it's so specifically targeted. But it is, it is, you know, interesting to watch how you work your way up to being that specifically targeted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways. So, yeah. Cool machine. Uh, not for everyone. Not for most people. You don't understand. I run four Twitter accounts. I have to have yeah. one on each screen. I don't want to send the wrong tweet out. And, uh, yeah, with that 5K resolution, that fits a lot of tweets. Ima also imagine, like, <laughs> the per like, a TikTok creator who's, like, a millionaire now. And is like, no, I need this to edit my TikTok. And then someone watches it on like a $400 Android phone yeah. with, with like 4G on it. And if they're doing that, they're going to need to get actually, because uh, Apple does not, their display stand doesn't rotate. Mm. So you're going to need to get some other aftermarket thing that lets you go portrait mode. Hey, you get a table that rotates the entire table size. Yes. Yeah. You can afford it. Mm -hmm. You're a TikTok influencer. That's the one thing Apple missed out on, the vertical... The vertical display, the rotating display. Yeah. So next year we'll see it. It'll be like an extra $2,000. $2,000. I don't know. We're pulling numbers out of our <laughs> I don't know. You'll th you are, you're already paying $8,000. What's yeah. $400 more for wheels? We looked into it and found that not a lot of people were buying our $50,000 rig. <laughs> so we adjusted. Yeah. So look, that's great. I like my Apple phone. Yeah, they make good products. They, yeah. The prices are hard to justify, especially yeah. if you're... If you're the type of person who mostly has a computer to play PC games on, this is going to be absurd to you. But yeah. some people do their jobs on computers, yeah. and they need reliable uh, and powerful graphics and audio capabilities that um, they can depend on and, and don't involve getting a bunch of parts and putting them together and troubleshooting shit constantly. Yes. It just works. It just Literally. fucking works. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, which is the best you can hope for when you're doing uh, work on the computer. Anyways, that's it for today's episode. If you haven't seen it already, um, Joe Brandon pushing the gas prices up. I did that. <laughs> uh, there's a lot more to it than that, but uh, <laughs> we do a whole rundown of the recent news from Ukraine and the gas prices and all of that in that latest episode. We also have a new episode of Weekly Weird News. And April 1st will be in Austin, Texas. Buy your tickets. We'll have a link in the description. Buy your tickets soon. I heard they're uh, getting low. They're getting low getting on low. supply. April 1st, uh, Rooster Teeth podcast. You'll see the link in the description. We'll see you there, Austin, Texas. Now the videos are up there. Check them out. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.